0: Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life, and I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way. With the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. My name is Michael Gregson. I'm your host, and I'm really excited about um, the episode that you're going to be listening to right now. I I always want to say today or tonight, it's early in the morning and whatever, but this episode is going to be a lot of fun for me. Um, Tommy Thompson is my guest today, and Tommy um, lives in Richmond, Virginia. And he is an author of a book and the name of the book is Space for Life. And I found Tommy on Instagram. Tommy's also a podcaster. Um, the name of your podcast is, sorry, the name of the podcast is Space for Life, correct, Tommy? Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and I found you on, on Instagram and I believe what I was doing is kind of searching for like uplifting or or motivation or something in, along those lines and I found your Instagram page and I started, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I hate to say this, but I Instagram stalked you and, <laughs> and I, I started it right. And I started scrolling through your page and I just thought, number one, this man loves God. Number two, um, your messages are of a up, very uplifting messages of purpose and faith and hope and, all of those things in life that really truly bear fruits of joy, peace and just happiness. Um and then and then as I kept scrolling I've, I learned that you you lost a daughter uh parent to cancer. Um, which I'm I'm so sorry and I know she was young and you were close and and I'm not going to go too much into detail because I want to turn it over to you and and you're going to take it away for us but um Tommy I've really been just very um uplifted by your messages i i again this morning first thing i did before we hopped on together is i started scrolling and, and reading and, and listening to a couple of your podcasts as well because i just wanted to connect that way with you before we started and um i feel better about myself after going to your page and reading about what you do and who you are now um we both believe in god but we don't we don't believe the exact same things but I but i think we actually probably do more than we realize so um, that's the beauty of it. Right. Um, so anyway, enough of me, Tommy Thompson, author, podcast host, great man, husband, father, um, you name it. And, uh, I think we've got Tommy today. So Tommy, take it away for us if you don't mind. Uh, well, thanks
1: so much for having me on. Uh, I've been looking forward to this and, uh, you know, social media is such a, a, a funny thing. And, and I, uh, I think it's just great that our connection has happened through social media and that, that even you, you describe being uplifted because my feeling is that social media almost as a whole does so much negative in people's lives. So if somehow um, things that I put on, things that you put on, Can turn that tide, uh, you know. That's just that's that's a great thing in and of itself because it's so hard in the kind of the competitive, comparison-oriented world of social media. So I've wanted to put out a different message, uh, a different thought, and do things that are uplifting. And I know you do too. And that that we were able to connect through that medium, I I think, is uh, is is really cool
0: you probably never thought you'd have a, a guy from Utah reach out to you and go, Hey, I really like what you're saying. I like what you're doing. I really want to talk to you about it. Right?
1: No, I, I, I truly did not think that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I think, I think that's the beauty of it. Right. I think you never know, you never know what you do when, when, when you bear fruits that are good. Um, I think they touch people and, and a lot of times you never hear, you never hear back that they do, but I think, Man, I think the influence of good is a lot stronger than we recognize. So that's cool.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. Well, uh, you you kind of alluded to a lot of uh, you know some some major things you know in my story, and uh, I, I'm I'm not being Pollyanna when I say that I feel like I've had you know an extraordinary life and a very uh, very blessed life in so many ways. Um, and I think part of the message that, uh, that I would wanna share with people is that uh, often that sense of blessing that is in spite of circumstances, in spite of difficult things that I think these days too many people see the only means to happiness is controlling their circumstances and trying to drive and strive their circumstances to avoid anything bad happening. And um, I think even in a in a roundabout way, even as a person of faith, I think I operated that way, where I thought, okay, if I if I follow God faithfully enough, uh, live my life holy enough then God will honor that by keeping hardship and pain from me and you know when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer uh you know which was now 11 years ago that she was diagnosed with the cancer, it turned you know some of that upside down. Um, so uh you know began to realize that God's a lot bigger than circumstances and joy and peace are a lot bigger than, having the right things happen. So anyway, that, that's kind of a major digression from, you know, from my life story. But uh, it's it's something that I feel strongly about because I, I just see people all around me striving and striving. And the only result coming from that is stress and anxiety.
0: Yes, I love it. You, you said something that really stood out to me. Um, in spite of circumstances, and in spite of means. Right. And, and man, Tommy, I'm excited to learn from you today because I feel like that's so true. It's, it's almost like we, we want to have control over circumstances over everything. Um, If if exactly what you said, if we do this, then this is going to happen. This is what I'm promised, or this is the guarantee. It's not always the case. Um, Doing good. Bring certain feelings, and that's the case. But you can have circumstances that you can't control, and that's life. You you remind me, and, and I'm going to stop talking because I'm so excited to hear from you today. But there's one thing too that you totally reminded me of, um, the story of the prodigal son. Um, I think one of the most powerful lessons in that story is the brother. Um, I mean, there's gosh, the father's amazing. The the son, like, aren't we all in a way like the son and amazing stuff? But the brother. Um, who had done everything right in his life, right? Like he he listened to his father. He he did um, what the father asked. He carried on the family business, if you will. He was there. He never missed a day. He did everything right. And what happened when the brother came back and the father ran out and and wrapped his arms around him and, and, and told him he was beloved, the brother got resentful. And yeah. resentment comes because we don't think the circumstances line up with what we deserve almost like we're entitled to have certain, right. You know what I'm saying? So that that was really cool to, to kind of put that connection together. So anyway, continue yeah. on and I'll stop talking.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just kind of give a, a real broad uh, story of kind of, uh, of my life and, and then we can kind of get into uh, some specific things. So I grew up in Richmond, Virginia and lived I've lived almost my entire life here, youngest of of four kids, Um, very kind of ordinary, middle upper kind of class, pretty peaceful existence in in a lot of ways. Went to Davidson College, which is a small college outside of Charlotte, uh, known to some for its basketball. Uh,
0: (laughs) Is that where Steph Curry played?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Good, uh, good school and, um, love every sport out there, you know, golf, tennis, squash. I was a lacrosse player, uh, soccer, football, you know, anything sports oriented. And, uh, ironically enough, you know, growing up, it was anything sports oriented and nothing business oriented, (laughs) um, So, you know, had a sociology degree from Davidson and and decided because I absolutely had no idea what to do with my life to go to seminary and went to seminary um, and got a master's of divinity degree um, from Presbyterian Seminary, finished in in Richmond, Virginia. I was married uh, a year after college. My wife, Weezy, and we're coming up on 40 years of being married this august uh which is mind-boggling that that i'm celebrating 40 years of anything <laughs>
0: yeah. so, you, get married, but, uh, you get married when you were 10 because you look like you're you look like you're 50 tommy yeah,
1: yeah that that's the right thing to say We <laughs> have got <a> bad <laughs> internet connection <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, that's great uh,
1: um so got a master's divinity degree and was chaplain in a private school for a couple of years while i was finishing that and uh promptly decided to go into business with my brother, who was an entrepreneur and had two small businesses and entered in uh, to help him run those businesses and just kind of have a natural proclivity for math. So I kind of became the CFO, just learned learned how, how to do all of that, and how to run businesses from the ground up. We began to sell some of those businesses, add other businesses. And for 35 plus years, we've been in business together across a wide variety. We've owned, uh, gosh, let's see, a video production company, like television commercials for 30 plus years. We owned a chain of retail stores in kind of uh, active adult wear. We owned a vending company, tool manufacturing, uh, screen printing, uh, real estate development, uh, and land development. Um, and I think I'm probably leaving out uh, some things. So wide variety of business across all sorts of different industries, Some sometimes with partners, sometimes just my brother, some small, some a little bit larger. Um, did that kind of for 30, 35 years. Wow. And um, really, you know, I have a great relationship with my brother, and he's been an amazing partner. And we're, you know, very different personalities, so we bring different skills kind of to the uh, to the table in terms of things. So it was in in the midst of all of that, uh, and alongside of that, my real love and passion in life is is teaching, teaching people about how to grow and how to find life. So I I did that almost as a a side venture alongside running these companies, usually in in my church settings. So I taught a large adult Sunday school class, year-long class on marriage, on personal growth. Uh, Sometimes it was Bible study across every kind of Of topic out there because that's just what my love and my passion is and I did that alongside running the businesses so it was in the midst of 30 years of doing that that then kind of out of nowhere with life seeming to just be on full gear you know things going well businesses going fine uh, life seeming to just be on autopilot almost in good in good ways. That remember in uh, March fourth, two thousand ten. So just a little over eleven years ago, uh, getting a phone call from a wife who had driven six hours away to be with my daughter, who was having you know some unusual back pain as a sophomore in college, and getting a a, a phone call uh, and answered it and it was just parent has cancer Mm. and it was i mean how could this be she's this petite healthy just vibrant full of life young girl um how could she have cancer and uh so she immediately had to pull out of, of school uh at that point to come and deal with what initially we thought was lymphoma only to find out that it was, uh, at a very advanced stage of kidney cancer, uh, which is a horrible type of cancer. Uh, and at that stage there isn't any, uh, cure for it. Um, the cancer had metastasized into her spine. She had a large tumor on her spine, which was what was creating the, um, the intense pain in her back. And, you know, in, in the span of a 10 second phone call, life was turned upside down. And what I thought would never happen to us, um, you know, everything turned upside down. So um,
0: Tommy real quick, she was 20, correct? Right. I mean, just young, young life. Right. Where health is like usually for a 20 year old health is not a thing. Right.
1: Oh, no. And she did. She, she was healthy all through growing up. And, you know, she played softball and volleyball and was involved in uh, Christian fellowships in college and just, you know, the brightest, you know, most full of joy person that that you could ever imagine it was, you know, this could never happen to a person. Vibrant,
0: like, vibrant, uh, right? Like uh, vibrant but, life and just. Uh. Uh,
1: and, and I think it, it, it frankly, it kind of turned everybody around us on their heads too. Um, as As they went through this with us and realized in a sense, if she can be uh, susceptible to cancer and if this family that are leaders in the church and everything can be susceptible then what could happen to us and it, I think it turned everybody on their heads as it did as it did us uh, and as I said it, it turned us our faith and everything on its head as we went gosh I thought following God almost made us immune to this <laughs> kind of thing yep. which is silly to say now almost in retrospect but it was it was a little bit of a uh you know underneath the surface uh attitude yeah so we walked uh with parent through that cancer for uh a little over six and a half years um, it was uh relentless for her um, was not an easy battle. It wasn't one of those where she went into remission for three or four years. She battled it uh, every day of the six and a half years. Uh, uh, Immediately within two weeks of the diagnosis, uh, had a kidney removed and a large tumor. She went through probably five, six different forms of uh, very difficult chemotherapy, went through, three or four different bouts of uh, radiation therapy, um, several different kinds of immunotherapy, just went from one to another. Mm-hmm. It worked for, you know, a few months and then not work. And we were scans every two or three months for six and a half years. Um, what was amazing is in the midst of what was without question, the most stressful, difficult, horrible six and a half years of our life, of her life, how uh, they were also some of the most amazing, uh, joy-filled, love-filled years that we've ever experienced, too. It was this, this combination that Uh, almost seems unreal to say of uh, pain beyond description and joy beyond description at at the same time. And I I say, and I honestly honestly feel this way, uh, parent experience more joy, particularly even in that six and a half years than most people experience in an entire lifetime, and she was, she was just this bright light uh, during all of that time. And you know, most of it she couldn't do much at all. She was in constant pain. But you know, I just have this picture of her, just often as we would just sit with her and just talk, uh, you know, during a day, and she'd be on a couch and couldn't do much, and. Would be talking about uh, you know something of a friend of ours, and she'd say, "Oh, that just makes me so happy." And I think, my gosh, people around us that had everything going for them that are stressed out and uh, anxious and miserable, and here's this this young girl with cancer, and she's just so happy.
0: Awesome, so, You that's, know That's amazing. Years.
1: We we thought God would heal her all through that journey. Um, you know, no no bright light, no word from above that said, you know, I'm going to heal her. But we just believed that God was going to heal her. And uh, you know, after six and a half years, the 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 cancer finally spread to her lungs, and and pretty quickly, kind of uh, went. You know. Way downhill, and she died the day after Thanksgiving, uh, 2016. Uh, so uh, that was a whole different journey, you know, from you know the the stress of the cancer to the grief of of losing this you know precious person uh, in our family. Uh, her brothers, two brothers, Chris and Alex, just loved her dearly. Um, she was Wheezy's best friend you know Perrin and I were just so so close uh, in so many ways and so then it's just this this massive vacuum in life and figuring out you know where do we go from here Um, and that's really what led you know much of it is what led to the book Space to Breathe again uh, because I realized that that We only survive those years because we created the space to survive those years. And I realized coming out of it that so many people are running 5000 miles an hour, uh, striving and miserable uh, and that I felt compelled that I needed to to. Be a voice for a different way of living life, you know, a a way that brings life regardless of the circumstances of life. So that was kind of also the uh, the genesis of uh, Space to Breathe Again, which has spent a couple of years writing and just released this past October.
0: So cool. So um, that's the book. and, And really, the inspiration came from all those experiences that you went through with your daughter, Perrin.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And years of of God really teaching us that, uh, you know, space is how we're meant to live life. So even in the midst of running, you know, four businesses at one time and raising kids and teaching, you know, we learned that, uh, you know, people of faith are often the people most prone to overload. Yeah, you know, they're wanting to do everything. They're wanting to have it all. They're wanting to be successful. They're wanting to serve. They're wanting to love. And they often just drive themselves into the ground in the midst of that. So God really taught us the lessons leading up to that, that those cancer years uh, of practicing the Sabbath of, of having generous time in the morning, um, to just be with God and to create space for the day and create generous time for the people in our lives. And that, that having an abundant life can work with having a space filled life.
0: That's awesome. Um, a ho- holy cow. I, I mean, my, my mind is going so many directions right now, like balance, abundance, I'm sitting here going, well, well, Tommy. What you're telling me is, if if I don't do all these things always, all the time, and I don't make a ton of money, then how am I ever going to live the American dream, right? Is the American dream money?
1: Uh, you know, I think I think that's one form of the American dream. Uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, the American dream, particularly in the last ten years. Has morphed to uh, speed and striving and distraction, and so you know we we think that's the path.
0: That doesn't sound dreamy
1: American dream, uh, but it just doesn't work. Yeah, you know, and 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 unfortunately, some people don't figure that out until it's too late. Um, and because even within the the Christian Church, we often preach a form of the American dream. We don't even tell people of faith that there's a different, better way. So, yeah. you know, that that's why I think this message is so important. People are climbing a ladder that's up against the wrong wall.
0: <laughs> that's, yeah, I that is well said, very well said. Um, and it's something you said about your daughter, Perrin, is you said in the middle of this six year, six and a half year battle with cancer, just incredible, like painful, obviously for incredibly painful and time consuming. And and your lives really revolved around this thing when she was in it. You said, I've never seen someone with so much joy at certain times. Obviously there were their painful moments for sure. But this is a, this is a girl who um, was up against a monster and you had moments where you saw pure joy in a way you've never seen it before. Can can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. and, And I'd even add to that, uh, you know, ironically, uh, that cancer journey was, you know, incredibly private and difficult because she was in pain, you know, almost, uh, relentlessly the whole time but her life also was uh, a life of incredible influence and impact. Uh, Thousands, literally thousands of people followed her story from afar and people were impacted. Uh, I still hear stories today of, of friends of ours who came to a faith in God solely from watching parent from afar and so to think that these things are uh diametrically opposed that you either live a space filled life or you live a life of influence or you you live a life of joy or you live a life of success you know it it doesn't have to be that way um so she she did she just lived a life um of, of obvious real struggle. It wasn't wasn't uh you know nothing uh shallow about her difficult journey of uh of knowing that for six and a half years that the next scan could tell her that you know she only had months to go. Mm. Um so That was, that was hard. It was a struggle for her faith-wise, but yet she maintained at the, at the absolute core, her conviction that God is good. That regardless of what happened to her, that God is good. And that bolstered her through all of the difficult days. And it became kind of the 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 core, the focus of who she was and how she lived her life. So she just found joy in beauty. She found joy in the people in her life. She found joy in love. She found joy in her faith. And because she had nothing to strive for other than to get for the next day, joy came very naturally to her.
0: Wow, you could write a book on that alone, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, that's absolutely. amazing. I, yeah. I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the spirit as you're, as you're talking about that. And I just, I mean, really, the only thing I could say following that is, Amen. Like it's, that's a, that's a witness right there in and of itself of, of God and His love for us. I, I think one of the things that came to mind, Tommy, while you were talking about that, is, you know, we. As believers, you know, in whatever faith people might be, but specifically right now, I'm talking about Christianity, right? As believers in God, of God and, and Jesus Christ, I think sometimes we innately feel um, living life, like we need to look out for those who are less fortunate than us, right? We we pray for them. we We say those things and that, of course meaning you know anybody who might be sick or afflicted or homeless or whatever but what's so funny is it's like as we as we follow Christ for some reason um in Christianity it's almost as if by following Christ our lives are supposed to be automatically successful and happy and peaceful and protected and we're good but i think those that truly understand what that means um you look you look through what the savior went through um that man lived a life of his best friends, uh, turn their backs on him and people hated him, beat him. Uh, eventually we know, you know, obviously we know the story he was crucified and, and all those things, but, um, we're supposed to, we're supposed to walk a path that he walked and follow him. And that, that means that it's going to be hard. There's, there's something really, truly special about the difficulties of life that, that it gives to us. And, and I think Perrin understood that in a way that was very, very deep and real.
1: Well, she did. And you know, it's it's a it's a humbling thing to be taught some of life's most important lessons by your young daughter. <laughs> that, uh that's that's very much, you know, what I feel like is that she taught us and those around her a lot about you know how to live. And you know, God God might bring success to us as people, we might live, you know, middle lives, you know, we might have one gift, we might have two, we might have five, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the small stuff of life. And so, you know, some people are real called to serve the poor, some people serve, you know, in so many different ways. And uh, so I just, I just believe God wants uh, a deep relationship with us. He wants us to be in deep relationship and love with one another, and to live lives of joy and purpose. And the circumstances in which that happens are really very, very secondary.
0: That's that's awesome. Um, so tell me, um, from you, you talk a lot about space in your message um, kind of creating that space, really living in that space. Can you, can you define what that means to you and and what you've learned about what that idea of space is?
1: Uh, yes, I, um, since we're kind of talking, uh, kind of from that Christian perspective, to me, one of the, the great parables is the parable of the sower. And, and I think it, uh, exemplifies in a sense this this idea of space because that first soil that doesn't work is what we would call today hard pan and if you think of hard pan hard pan has no space so water can't sink into hard pan and nothing can grow in hard pan
0: all, Ari- all my Arizona friends know very well about hard <laughs>
1: yeah exact, exactly exactly. Yeah. It's really hard to grow anything. Yeah. In so then you got the you know the, the soil with the, uh, with the rocks all in it and again, it's shallow. Nothing can grow in it uh, or at least not for long. Then you got the the soil with the thorns and everything again. and then you have this topsoil. And if you think of topsoil, it's filled, It's it's filled with space in it. And that's what it takes to grow. And I've I've realized that there's this, you know, subtle underneath message uh, that's core to growth is that space is uh, almost a prerequisite for growth in our lives. And so that as I create space, I'm creating space to be able to listen, I'm creating space to be able to learn. Uh, I'm creating space to be able to grow. Uh, Creating space for relationships that all of the best things happen in a sense, in that slow reflective place that is now so hard to find in our culture. Uh, And ironically, that's not at odds with abundance. So, uh, so you know, I've learned to just take this long time in the morning to 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 be in scripture, to be in prayer, to just reflect on what happened the day before and what's going to happen in the day ahead to plan, you know, my day, and to think through that, and then to go through the day without the rushing, you know, get to appointments five minutes early, you know, five minutes, you know, it just allows me to breathe and to focus on what's ahead of me. And uh, to give that one day to God, that practicing the Sabbath, and to stop and to stop worshiping work and, and productivity, you know, for that one day. Uh, and I've, I've learned that, wow, that's what's been missing that was choking, literally choking, the joy and peace out of life. And when you think about this, this image of breathing again, and you think about what people say, you know, when their stress is, man, I, I'm I'm just running, I'm just trying to catch my breath, you know. And you know, shallow breathing has become epidemic. It's become a habit in life. And so I've realized that all of the good things happen as I continually fight this high-speed, loud, distracted existence that culture tells us is the way it has to happen. And as I embrace peace and rhythm and balance in life.
0: I love that. When, When you were talking about the principle of the sower. I, I literally, in my mind, I'm envisioning like, okay, the soil. Because I mean, gosh, who hasn't had those moments where you go to try and dig in the ground and like, you can't, you can't break the barrier of the, the ground because it's so hard and it's so, you're right. There's no space. Yeah. And and then you think, you think about the rocks, right? There's not really a lot of room there. And, and once the water gets down past the dirt into those rocks, it, it, the rocks kind of allow it to kind of seep further. So there's no room to stay. And then as you get into the, the thorns and the thistles and all that, you're like, man, you're just choked out. You, you, there's no room again. But then I think about rich soil, right? Like the rich soil, there's, it's almost like there's air in yes, the soil. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's very rich and it's very, it's, it's got beautiful color and you you kind of want to just keep your hands in it because you're like, wow, this is amazing stuff. And I'm literally in my mind, I'm sitting there envisioning this and I'm like, there is space in rich soil. There's room. And that's what, that's what a, that's what a plant, a flower, a beautiful flower can grow easiest in, right? Yes,
1: absolutely. And the thing I'd want to tell people who uh, perhaps are, are listening to this is that None of this came naturally to me, (laughs) none of this. I have got, you know, so much drive and strive, you know, in my bones Um, and these lessons and the things that have brought me to this place, and I'm still learning and growing, came out of complete brokenness. It came out of a stage in life in my early 30s when I was running so fast, and so hard, running four different businesses, raising a young family, teaching in church, all good things, all things that on the surface look like the, the American dream, the way we're supposed to live it. And I'd come home, and I was miserable, and I was grumpy, and I was depressed. And life was falling apart in the midst of everything going well on the surface and everybody thinking that our family was the picture of the way it was supposed to be. And I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown, running a life of speed and distraction and noise and never slowing down and always striving, And it was only out of the absolute bottom that God began to teach me these lessons. So this is not someone who's just wired with a nice easygoing temperament that this stuff comes easy. This stuff is a is a constant constant battle even today after you know 30 some years of of learning these uh lessons. So um I say that because I would never want to give the impression like, oh, well, that's easy for him. No, not at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I right. I mean, it's like, hey, here's Tommy. He's started all these businesses. He's had a lot of success there. He's now an author. He's he he does a podcast. Oh man, he this guy, ideal life, easy, not easy, but like ideal life. He just seems to have it all going for him. Not yeah. the case. No. Yeah. The battle has been real. The You, you, you get in those races, and I, it says in the scriptures that a man should not fat run faster than we have the strength to run, and I think that is one of the most powerful and simple messages that we can hear, and with all the marketing that happens around us in the world of we need to have this, and we should go after this, and we should do this, and we'll be surrounded by these kind of things and these kind of people— I think we listen to a lot more of those voices than we should, but, uh, Tommy, you seem to be a man of principle, if, if you will. And, and I, I'm curious what, what principles, um, tell me if, if you don't mind maybe a couple that really stand out to you from this, from this experience of being true, like tried and really, um, what, what's a, what's a good word for, buffed buffered um right right like kind of like a scripture word um but you've been tried uh through the furnace of affliction i guess you'll say um uh, learning and growing what are some principles that you've pulled out of those that you really like try and apply to your life today
1: yeah i'd say one that has become uh, uh kind of a, a real core almost a, a mantra in my life is that uh I'm called to be faithful, not to be successful. And uh, the the point of that, it, it sounds good on the surface, but the, the point of that is that success is an outcome. And we don't control outcomes. And I learned that early on in the business world where, you know, I had businesses that I was doing all of the right things, running them with sound business principles and everything. And then we would get smashed with a recession or smashed with, I can remember one business that was located in the Virginia Beach area. And and it was when the first Gulf War happened and half the people out of the area, you know, left the area and our business, you know, tanked. And it wasn't because of anything. So I realized I don't control outcomes, but, if my utmost first commitment is to be faithful, and that means just do the right thing, do the right thing by God, do the right thing by the businesses, faithful to my wife, faithful to my integrity, that I can then trust the outcome. And if success comes, that's fine. If it doesn't, that's okay, too. And so it takes all the pressure off. You know, I mean, you're running a podcast, I've got a podcast, I just introduced, uh, you know, a book. It isn't about how many copies of the book sells, or how many people are subscribed to the podcast. My call is to be faithful, And God does with it what he wants to do or what he doesn't want to do. And that's okay. And there's such immense freedom in that. Uh, There's also tremendous responsibility because it's a high call to be faithful. So it has that that two-sided coin. Um, uh, It's a high calling to be faithful in who you are in private and in your family and in your business and all of your work, it's a high call. But it's also this just incredible freedom of, of being able to uh, let go of, uh, of the results. Well, sure. So that's, a, that's kind of a, a core principle that uh, uh, I can't even remember where that came from, but that's just a, a <laughs> deep, deep conviction, you know, in my life.
0: Very well said. And and as, as you're talking about that, you mentioned other things like that, that come back to your definition of faithful. You mentioned integrity. I'm hearing very clearly accountability, like being a steward over yourself, right? Which means that you're a man of integrity, which means that you are honest and true. And, you know, those things, if living by, as you've said, bring a lot of these just peace and joy when you, you know, God gives us the ability to come to this earth and make a choice. Really, the only thing that we have that truly, truly belongs to us, that we have control over, is our will and our ability to choose. And if we live a life of faith, like you're saying, and, and you, you practice all of these, these traits and characteristics that really encompass faithfulness, yeah. that's when joy comes. That's why Perrin was so happy in the middle of a dark, dark battle. She she had that joy. So keep going.
1: Yeah. And so so the other side of that, I think, is uh, the conviction that at the core, at the foundation, I live by grace. Uh, And by that, I mean, no matter how hard I try to be faithful, I fall flat on my face (laughs) regularly regularly. And I love the verse in Proverbs that says the righteous man falls seven times and gets up. And I fall regularly. And I am completely dependent on the grace of God. I'm completely dependent on the grace of my friends. And it is core and critical that I also offer myself that grace. Because you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall down, and, and one of the things, uh, you know, when we walked through those seven years uh, of uh, parents' cancer, I have no pride in how I walked through that. I barely survived. I mean, it was hard, hard, on faith, on my stress level. There was nothing impressive about how I got through those years, but I survived by the grace of God. And I realized early on, man, I've got to give myself grace because survival is victory when you go through something like that. And so I realized that I've got to hold this, 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 this balance between my call and my desire to be faithful and to be a person of integrity with my constant faith failings and fallings, you know, in that, uh, or else I'll simply become a driven faithful person.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I've tried that and it doesn't work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love, man, that is such a beautiful thing. And this room space, right? What grace, grace totally gives that. It, it's like, that's what grace is. It's to say, Hey, I got you. I'm first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to give you things that you're not even aware of and, and you're going to have that. But when you, when we say to ourselves, wow, um, I made a big mistake there. It's grace practice to ourselves is God wants us to do that because what it does, it gives us space. It gives us room exactly what you said. And, and we're sweet. We're a lot of times we tend to be so willing to give it to others. Um, but then we're so hard on ourselves feeling like I'm a failure. I'm not as good. And, and we compare. Right. And that's, that's a, that's a, and another conversation, you could write a book about that one day, I'm sure. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, Tommy, you, you've, you've gone over some really powerful messages today and, and they're simple. That's the beauty of this whole thing that I think I just feel so much joy in my heart as you're talking about all these things, because they're very simple and it's really taking ownership of your life and, and, becoming that faithful person is taking accountability for you and making sure that you do those things. You create that space in the mornings, you go to God in the word and and you, you pray and, and you meditate and you, those things. So you can hear his voice, you make room for him. And then life, life bears those fruits of just happiness and joy. What, what, what else, Tommy, what are we, where, where do you want to go from here?
1: Well, you know, one of the things I think I would, uh, um uh, want to add to kind of this this concept of uh, that we're talking about because we're talking about kind of some really big large concepts and perhaps it's it's out of uh, my you know all of my years running businesses, but I've also had a really strong orientation towards the practical and uh, because I think a lot of times people give you know vast concepts, but the how to is missing. And so one of the things that that I I've sought to do, and this certainly is not about, uh, you know, this podcast is not about my book, but I sought to do because I feel very strongly about it, is to give very practical uh, practices that people can do uh, that enable them to to incorporate space in their lives
0: tell uh, us a couple if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. Um, so one, uh, this is again, uh, some of these are almost so practical, you'd call them hacks.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> um, but that's their okay. cheat
0: codes. They're cheat codes. I mean, They're that's what they code. are. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, so, so one of them that I have is a, is the idea of turning your car, which for most people is a, is a place of ultimate stress and anxiety into what I call a hidden sanctuary. So I realized that, you know, car is a terrible place, but yet we spend so much time in our car. And so I learned that the car was a beautiful place for me to create all of these natural quiet pauses in the day. So I learned Out of necessity, out of failure, I learned to start driving in silence and to drive slow. And so I even calculate in the book, you know, on a 10 mile journey, what 10 miles an hour, you know, it gets you there maybe two minutes earlier. But yet, what does it do to your spirit to drive at the absolute fastest pace? And so I've learned to just drive calmly quietly, to use the time, some time to pray, some time to just reflect, some time to think of what's going on, and that I could actually change the whole feeling of my car from a place of stress to this hidden sanctuary that I have. And it's a simple thing. Every single person can do this, you know, in their lives and take something that. Has totally one effect and turn it completely uh, upside down. Uh, of course, there are, there are hundreds of hacks around the smartphone too. You know, uh, turning off every notification so that that phone isn't dinging in your ear every minute. Leaving your phone in your car, you know, when you go in with a friend for a meal, um, having no technology zones or time zones you know in in your house where it just doesn't happen and it's these just as you say they're cheat codes they're just uh these artificial systems that we put in place that allow for the right things to happen that allow for some silence to come in our lives and You know, you can take each area of growth, trying to decrease noise, trying to decrease speed, trying to minimize distractions. And you can come up with these simple systems, hacks, cheat codes that enable these things to happen so that we're not so dependent on our inadequate willpower to make these things happen. So I still practice these just you know, a month ago, I learned that on the Apple iPhone, if you go into the screen time feature, it has a downtime feature. And so by turning that on, I in effect turn off all of my apps from 9.30 at night to seven in the morning. They are all blackened and so even if i want to go to instagram i can't unless <laughs> i go through this process of overriding it which is so humiliating that i don't <laughs> do and because i know even after all these years i'm so tempted to do it yeah so i use a hack downtime i don't have to worry about it you know and so i the book is filled and i think that's where the rubber meets the road forget the book that's where the rubber meets the road is coming up with practices with habits with systems that enable the life that you most desire to live
0: so so well said and you're right because we can talk idealisms all day long and i think i think everybody kind of innately knows the right answers to things But what are we doing? What's the process that we've set up? What's the pattern of our lives that we've set up to really allow us, enable us? I love that word, enable, that really enables us to to have the best life, the abundant life that we really want to have, full of love and joy and peace.
1: You know, Jesus said this all the time. He said this thing that we just ignore uh, to ridiculous degrees. He said, do and you'll know. And we want to reverse that equation and say, I need to know first. And when I become convinced of it, then I'll decide about doing it. And and it's interesting in the, in the parable at the end of uh, Matthew, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the wise and the foolish man and the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And most people completely misread that parable because what he says is the one distinguishing characteristic between the wise and the foolish man is they both hear, the wise man hears and puts it into practice, the foolish man hears and doesn't do. The only distinguishing factor is doing versus not doing. So we can talk all we want, but if we don't do, we're not going to know. And if we don't do, we're just fools.
0: <laughs> Amen. If you believe these things, see that you do them, right? Um, wow. This has been awesome. Um, okay. So uh, do you feel like there's anything else you want to add to the story or, or can I ask you a few questions at this point?
1: Oh, go, go, go for it.
0: Is that okay? Yes. Um Tommy, I could talk to you all day long. I just I feel like I'm being fed. And it what what is so awesome to me about this conversation is this is very simple stuff. But that's the beauty of it, right? These are the cheat codes are the simple, simple, simple things. Absolutely. But the, but the idea of it and ex, and exactly what you hit, I think, is we're having this conversation in your mind, your heart, you're going, yeah, this is really important to talk about. But we've also got to we've also got to distinguish and make that that create that understanding in that room for there's got to be action because action is everything doing right. You've got to do. Um, I love that. So go, you're going to say something.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, and it, it's, it's that rhythm. It's that rhythm between reflecting and doing, you know, and it, it, it needs both parts, you know, in order to be real and to be life-giving. And so I'm a deep believer in that I can create all the space I need and still have plenty of time for all the doing that I'm called to do. And so, you know, I create a lot of space in my life, but I'm coaching, I'm consulting, I really do a podcast, I write a blog, I've written a book, I've, I've you know we, there is that possibility, but it requires that, that balance, that rhythm between that reflecting in that space and the doing.
0: Yeah. Oh, so well said. Um, Tommy Thompson, my, my friends, this, this has been awesome. Thank you for this. Um, I, I want to take it back to, um, a couple things, if you don't mind about the difficult and the hard real quick. Um, You've talked about some amazing and valuable principles and characteristics that uh, have taught you how to really live a, a more abundant life, if you will, as we've said. Take me back to being there with Perrin in those darkest times um, or, or even in those days that you said when you were in your 30s where you were kind of running faster than you had strength to run. You were missing the mark. And, and things got really difficult for you. Um, one of the questions I, I like to ask all my guests is, is what is the gift that the darkest moments of your life gave to you um, by going through that dark, dark period? You know, I,
1: I think that it's almost tried to say, and so I want to say it in a, in a different way. But uh, we learn our our deepest, most important lessons, you know, co- you know, through those dark periods. So the the whole lesson of creating space in my life came out of that that dark period in my early 30s when I was literally on the verge of a, a nervous breakdown. And the lessons that I've learned through those years with Parent um, are. They've changed me from the inside, uh, from the inside out. Um, so uh, I think those lessons. We hate that it's the case, but it's where the growth, you know, happens is in those really uh, dark, uh, hard places uh, in life. And sometimes that's very uh, undefinable. It's hard for me to necessarily put my fingers on what it was about six years of uh, perpetual stress—that's the worst kind of stress that you can have—that changed me on the inside. Uh, but it absolutely did. And you know what's what? I I can't even explain this totally. Um, how is it that having gone through one of the worst things, the worst thing I could ever imagine going through, uh, you know, the loss of, of, of a child that, I come out of it with more hope than I've ever had in my life. Uh, um, I believe so much in the God of hope, which is so ironic when I face the reality that God didn't answer my prayers to heal parent on this earth, that I, I can't even make sense of that. And and for some reason, I don't even feel a need to make sense of that. I just know it's true. Um, and so, Because of the earlier lessons in my 30s, when Perrin was diagnosed, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And both my wife and I, we doubled down on creating space in our life. So uh, the morning time, we literally doubled it, the amount of time, because that's what it took to survive. I went to my brother, you know, within, you know, the first week or so that parent was diagnosed and and I told him, I said, uh, this is going to take everything, you know, from me. So I need to back way off. And he was still dependent on me in some really critical ways. I said, so, so what I want to do is I want to do, I want to be there for you in the business, but I want to do that, which I and only I can do and nothing else. And so I decreased my work commitments by about 75%. Took all of the paper pushing, all of the, you know, meaningless meetings that we fill our days with and just said, not going to do any of them. But when you really need me for that thing, which you count on me for, I'll do it. Ironically, I think I lost about 10, 20% of my productivity. I backed off 75% of my work and got about 80% of everything done. But I knew I had to have the space. And sometimes that space was just to go out and play a round of golf. You know, it wasn't for being hyper-spiritual. It was just for surviving, you know, and that was okay. And a lot of people are going through circumstances in their life that are so hard and that are so overwhelming that survival is incredible victory. You know, forget looking good on the outside, you know, just survive with God in it. And that's incredible, incredible victory. And that's all I have to show for those seven years is my wife and I and our family survived. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that's a miracle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what a miracle that is. And parent parent is in a better place um, than we can imagine and not far away, no doubt. So um, I, I I'm going to ask you one more question based on that answer um, because I really like how you, in your, in your, in your speaking and, and in your approach, you always talk about kind of the rubber meeting the road, I know everyone's morning process, if if they have one, is different, um, and it doesn't have to be the same as anyone else's. But would you mind just kind of like sharing with with me and my audience what do you do in the morning to kind of start your day off?
1: Um, yeah, I I could go on for a long time on this because I <laughs> feel very strongly on this. On this, uh, first of all, I would help want everybody to realize that the morning begins the night before. Um, If you go through uh, the creation story, it tells each day that God created, and God created the night and the day, day one. It always starts with night and then goes to day, as does the whole Jewish perspective on the Sabbath. Happens at sundown. So, so many people are sabotaging any potential for good in their mornings by how they're living the night before. Interesting. So, think about that as the first way to begin to create that rich morning time. Ah. So, from there, it then becomes interesting because if I realize it starts the night before, of which sleep is part of that, then I can kind of do this backwards calculation. So let's say I'm in a really busy time of life. Maybe I have kids you know, that are, are young and I go, I, I don't have time. Well, we do have time because if I go to bed at nine o'clock at night, which is actually what, what I do now at this particular time, nine to 9.30, I can sleep eight hours and be up at five in the morning. Not many people can't get in time if they get up at five in the morning, you know? So if you go backwards and you say, okay, what is the time that I need to be lights out, going to sleep, count forward eight hours now, and, and, and let's say I need to start work at 7.30. Most people don't have to start that early, but let's say it is, 7.30. I want to give myself an hour. Most people don't want to do that long. I love at least to have an hour. But I've got 30 minutes of kind of dead time, 7.30. That means if I get up at six, I got a half an hour to get myself situated and an hour and I can get still started at 7.30. So people who say I can't do it, I don't have time, I just wanna say something approaching something as rude as saying you're just making an excuse. Okay. That having said, when you have that time, whether it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, to begin to live into that period in an unrushed, quiet way, We have time, even at 20 minutes or 30 minutes, to read a little bit of scripture, to have a little bit of quiet prayer, not just spouting out at God, but some time to just be quiet and even a little bit of time for reflection. Then once we begin that and we get used to 20 minutes or 30 minutes, we can begin what I call in the book of expanding our frame for the day and all of a sudden that 20 minutes we'll start to get a taste of what that does and how pleasant that taste is and we'll go i want 40 minutes i want 50 minutes i want an hour Uh, and so i I love what mother Teresa said to henry now and she said you know he said how you know how do you live your life she said give my first hour to God and do what I please and, and try not to do something wrong. Yeah. So it's just real simple. Just give that hour and live in the joy and the flexibility of, of what's going to bring life for you in that hour. You know, sometimes it's a little bit more scripture. Sometimes I'm memorizing, sometimes I'm studying, sometimes I'm just mulling on it. Sometimes my prayers are one way, sometimes they're another. I'm a big journaler. Sometimes I journal a lot. Sometimes I journal a little. It's, it's not so important, the formula. It's that you do it and that you start to live it and you start to enjoy it and you start to to, to change it as times and seasons change.
0: Awesome. Um, I'm, a, this is, this is a, I'm so glad I asked you this question because I'm a 5 a.m. guy as well. And my start to my day is so important to me but I I don't know that I've ever given the credit to what I do at night. And and I'll tell you, when you say that, it's like, oh my gosh, that makes complete sense. Not only because that's what God said and it makes sense, but it's like, I look at my nights and I'm like, if my wife and I watch even like a great movie or whatever, and it goes late into the night and then I'm exhausted, that ruins my whole pattern of my morning. And that throws off my day a little bit, not because I've created the habit of that, but because I haven't created the space for God. I haven't created the space for that time to reflect and and just there's something about that connection that you create in the morning um, that just makes your whole day better and more selfless, if you will. It's, um,
1: it's so true. And so I've become so jealous for my mornings, which <laughs> makes me by nature jealous for my nights. Yeah, And so occasionally, man, I love watching a a late night NFL game. He goes, it goes late. So, but I do it with my eyes wide open going, okay, I'm making a choice that this time I'm going to do that. And yeah. I know, I know what I'm doing, but that morning has become so precious to me that I don't give it up lightly.
0: And when you, when you go to bed the right way at night, journaling scripture study or, or reading a great book or whatever you're doing, but you put parameters around that. You have you you're setting yourself up for success the next day. That in plant like planning even the night before, right? Like I mean, it's just that makes complete sense. And I don't know that we give that enough credit. The days are separate, right? They're separate, and so we we start in the morning, and it is what it is. But no, think start thinking the night before. That's awesome.
1: Well, just as you said, you know, it 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 just shows it. It's this isn't rocket science. It's <laughs> simple stuff. And people who say they can't. Just aren't aren't thinking right. enough about it because we all can do this stuff. Yeah, they're crazy seasons of life, but this is possible for all. This is within all of our grasp.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, Tommy, I uh, I have to be honest though. I'm 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 a little bit uh, frustrated by one thing you said that because you you kind of called me out to repentance on one part of my life. Um, I'm gonna have to slow down my driving. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I as mean, you're saying that, I'm sitting there going, holy cow. Like, even though I put on my awesome, like the music that I, I feel so good and uplifted by and I I jam it in the car, I'm that guy. I'm I'm a little too fast. And you're right. Like that just, it makes, it makes my pace in the morning frantic. Like it, it brings frantic into my mind and that causes anxiety. And I'm sitting here going, holy cow. Like I've never connected that to the way I drive. So I, I, I think um, why don't we end on this note? If you don't mind, tell us, um, a, tell us where we can get your book at um, and then just go over your, your podcast, maybe your focus there. When I, when I post your episode, um, I'll definitely put the links on there for, so that everyone can connect with you. And I would encourage any listeners out there that um, that have enjoyed this message today to reach out and just, just tell Tommy, you enjoyed it or, um, if you have any questions, you know, I uh, me and Tommy spoke before we started recording and and he'd be, you know, he'd be honored if you'd reach out to him with any questions as well. So would you mind just telling us about your book, where we can find it, and then your podcast as well? Yeah,
1: thank you. Appreciate that. Um, Book Space to Breathe Again, and it's available on Amazon and it's available in ebook, soft cover, hardcover, audio book. You know, a lot of people like audio, so it's available in, in uh, all those uh, formats. Uh, also, uh, I've introduced uh, um, a small group study guide because, boy, you begin to to live and to struggle with some of these things in community. That's when change really happens. So we do also have a small group study guide for those who want that. It's either a free download or you can order, you know, a copy of that. Uh, website's real easy. It's tommythompson.org, uh, not .com, .org. Uh, and, you can, and you can get the book and the small group study guide uh, there uh, also. So uh, those are the easiest ways. And if someone wants to email me, it's easy. It's tommy at tommythompson.org. So uh, pretty simple in terms of all that. Uh, Podcast, which I yeah, you can tell I love doing these, uh, is Space for Life. Uh, And it's available on all the different platforms. And we do a lot of exactly what you and I have done. We share stories. Um, I I love to ask people, uh, what are the things that have worked for them in terms of creating space in their life? And then I also love, because I'm very passionate about identifying and living into our purpose. I believe God has really a unique purpose for each one of our lives. And so I love to ask people about how they're living out purpose in their lives. Um, So, you know, those are some things that I uh, focus on. Uh, About half the podcast, uh, I've got a great host and we just talk about things that I love to talk about. So they're kind of my teaching, because that's my passion. And half the time I bring on, uh, you know, just really neat, fun guests.
0: Yeah. Well, you're a, you're a great, great man, my friend. And I, you know, I, I know uh, you would, you'd take that and you'd say, well, I know where it comes from. Cause that's just the kind of guy you are. Um, but I just thank you so much for sharing with me today. And I'm so sorry about paren. and it sounds like you have an incredible family, incredible wife and congratulations on coming up on 40. When's the date? October 20, uh, August 22nd. August 26th. All so, right. That's, that's 40 years. Forty years. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you for coming on. I again, I'd encourage my guests definitely listen to Tommy's podcast. And I'm going to get that book. And when I finish reading it, I'm going to send you my marked up copy and ask you to put your signature on it. Tommy, how's that sound?
1: I'd love to. Okay.
0: Awesome. Well, Thanks. thank you.
1: This has been so much fun and such a such a joy just to share. And I, I I love doing this. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Thank you for being on with me. What a what a great message. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at cometowardsdelight at gmail.com.